Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. The very first book of the Bible um, is Genesis, and it begins with the words, um, in the beginning, God created. Um, so God created the, the, the solar systems and the stars and the planets and just extravagant, extravagant greatness. Um, but the crown of his creation were, was, was people. Uh, he, he, with all the great things that you can see in the outer space and its vastness, his crown of creation was people. So God made Adam and Eve perfectly. Um, and it was, it was only meant to become better as time went on, uh, greater and greater over time. The greatest hope that they, could, that they had of being like God was to submit to him. The closest they could ever become to being like him was submit to the ultimate greatness of God. And instead of doing that, of course, they, they made a choice to trade that initial greatness for what they thought would be freedom. Uh, and that turned out to create all kinds of misery in the world like they had never known. Like they could have just never imagined. Um, after that happened, um, Adam and Eve, I, I, I wonder. So and those of you guys you know, who read the Bible even casually know, after that happened, they got put out of the Garden of Eden. I wonder if they ever thought, after they got put out, um, is God really with us? Like after experiencing his presence, experiencing his presence so materially, so physically, like I wonder after, after, they, got, after they got put out, like I wondered if they ever, that they, if they said, is God really still with us? Does he really care about us still? Have you thought like about what their experience would have been like when Cain murdered their, their, their younger son, his brother, Abel. It's hard for me to put, put into, into, into a real context in my mind what it would be like as a parent to have one of your kids marry, uh, murder their sibling. Marry or, either one, marry or murder. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if when that happened, if they said, God, where are you? Like, certainly you could have stopped this. Like, why didn't you? Where, where are, are you really with us still? Because this is incredibly awful. Again, that's an understatement. So throughout the, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, uh, throughout the Old Testament, God would try to have this genesis, this new beginning with people all the time. He'd do it over and over and over again. So he tried to start, some of you guys know he started with Abraham, and God promised to Abraham, he said, listen, if you follow me, if you, if you follow me and keep my covenant, with, that I'm going to make you into a great, great people. And when you read Abraham's story, he had this this lifelong struggle with trusting God. Just 
couldn't, couldn't believe him. And God had to tell him over and over and over again, listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And then, but after Abraham's generation, there was the next generation of his, of his children and they just, they would forget God. God would have a new genesis. He would have a new genesis, a new beginning with the, with the nation of Israel. Um, when he rescued them from slavery, the first, first, first thing he did was he took them to Mount Sinai. He, he took them to a mountain called Sinai, and he had this, like, wedding with them. He said, listen, I'm going to be your God. You be my people. We're going to keep this covenant together, and I'm going to turn you into something amazing. It's going to be so great. It's going to be a, a new beginning with you and I. Just, it's going to be and you will be my treasured possessions. The, word, the words he uses is treasured, treasured, treasured possession. And it's like, it's like uh, think, of, think of when you only have one of something. That's the kind of meaning behind it. And think of it like this, like when you only have one of something and then you lose it. And then you, you've lost it for, for days, maybe even months. Like you, you're, you've given up looking for it. And then you find it in your coat pocket or something like that. When you find it again, when you find it again, it's, there's a celebration. I mean, you are ecstatic I mean, and you treasure it differently than you did before you lost it. It's, it's your treasured possession now because you've lost and you know what it's like to be with that. God's saying, if we can do this, we can, if we can keep this relationship, you will be my treasured possession. It, 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 I've lost this kind of relationship with people, but if we can do this together. Of course, the, <laughs> the people could not do it. Um, they, would, they could not or would not do it. And... Uh, People rejected God as their king. They said, we don't, want, we don't want you to be our king. And eventually they, they insisted on human kings. So God says, okay, all right, we'll do human kings. And he said, I'll, I'll, do, I'll take each king, and each king is going to be a new beginning, a new genesis, a new opportunity for us to have the relationship that, that I intended us to have. So every time his, his, this king would happen, he'd anoint him, and you're the anointed one, and you'd be this new beginning, this new thing for that we would be together. Often, um, so some of you guys know that uh, eventually the nation of Israel is divided into two nations, um, Israel and Judah. And often the, the nation of Judah would have a good king. It, the nation of Israel is a hot mess. It never, never, never gets off the ground. The nation of Judah would have a series of good kings and then bad <laughs> And that would happen over and over and over again, back and forth, back and forth. So there was a time about 800 years before Jesus shows up on earth. And the nation of Judah uh, has this, is in the stage of having a good king. So it has four good kings in a row. And so they, they're, building, they're building a firm foundation. They're going in this great direction. And then King Ahaz, uh, a man named King Ahaz, named Ahaz becomes king. Um, and when, when Ahaz becomes king, he's awful. Uh, it's awful as an understatement. Um, he's noted in the Bible for, for combining worship of God with worship of other things. Other, you know, he brings the worship of idols into God's temple, things like that. Um, you know, he, he sacrifices children, um, burns them alive, uh, burns his own son alive. Uh, just, I, again, I, I, I don't know if we often, the Bible puts those things and it says it out loud for us to get a picture of who he is. Because he, there's all kinds of other details that make him this just an evil person, a terrible person. So 
after living that way for years, Ahaz finds out that there's, there's these two nations that are coming to, to destroy him. There's two nations that are coming to, they, they've, they've kind of teamed up and they're coming to take over his kingdom. And um, listen to this. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And the word shaken here, um, when you look, you look at what its, what its meaning is, is similar to like uh, when, you, when, when you're really cold. Um, if you've ever been, you know, certainly you've been in a context where you're, you know, your, your, your teeth are chattering and your body is shaking. You're, you are you're uncontrollably shivering. Um, it's, it, think of that, think of that, except in this case, it's related, instead of related to temperature, it's related to fear. Like, you, you are so terrified of what's about to happen. You are shaking uncontrollably. Uh, and some of you know that in ancient times, if there was some nation coming against you and you thought you were going to lose, you, you know that there are reasons to be terrified because people, they were just brutal, brutal. It's just awful. So at this point, Ahaz doesn't know what to do. Um, he doesn't feel like he can trust God. Um, he, he's not going to run to God because he's, you know, he's kind of put God, he's you know, put God aside. And, and, and if he were honest, he would, you know, he would just say, I just don't trust God. I don't, I don't know him. I don't like him. I, I don't want to do what he says. Um, so he goes around to other nations begging for help. He's begging other nations to say, hey, come to my aid. Come help me. Um, these guys are coming against me. Come help me fight them. So God comes to this guy named Isaiah is one of his prophets. And he says, listen, I need you to go talk to Ahaz. I need you to tell him what to do. And so Isaiah's like, okay, well, what do you want me to say to him? Say to him, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering, smoldering stubs of firewood because of the fierce anger of reason and, and Aram and the son of Remaliah. And so the, these are just the nations that are coming at him. Aaron, uh, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. So, uh, you know, God says, you go, go tell him basically, you've, you've, you know, you know, you know, you know, you haven't behaved right. You haven't trusted me. You tried to do it your own way. And now, now that you tried to do it your own way, let's, let's start over. Let's start over. Let's begin again. Let me, let's, let's have a Genesis. Let's have a new beginning. I'll save you. Don't be afraid. You can trust me. And of course, Ahaz knows, he, you know, God knows that Ahaz doesn't trust him. And so he, he goes on, he says this, he says, the Lord sent another message to Ahaz. He says, I know you don't trust me. So ask the Lord, your God, to give you a sign. It can be from the deep, from deep in the world of the dead or from high up in heaven Ahaz answered, I will not ask for a sign. I refuse to put the Lord to the test. So by Bible nerds in the room, you know, that, that sounds kind of spiritual, right? That sounds good. Don't put, the, don't put God to the test. Um, it might sound like um, spir- it's, it's spiritual, but in this case, it's, it's kind of false spirituality. I mean, if he was really concerned about not putting God to the test, he probably wouldn't have burned his son in a fire, right? 
Um, it's, 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 more, it's more similar to like when you give an excuse for not doing something, but you have a real reason behind it. Like, you know, you, you, somebody, you, somebody says, hey, why haven't you responded to my text? And you, you say something like, oh, I've been really busy. Which is true, you've been busy, but you made time to like go out with your friends and watch Netflix and like scroll you know, social media. But the real reason is like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> but you can't say that out loud, so you say something like, I'm, I've been really busy. That, that's what's happening here. <laughs> that's what's happening here. So to that, Isaiah replied, listen. Listen now, descendants of King David It's bad enough for you to wear out the patience of people. Do you have to wear out God's patience too? Can you wear out God's patience? Faking and pretending? Well then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You won't ask for a sign. I'm going to give you one. A young woman who is pregnant will have a son and will name him Emmanuel. So my Bible nerds in the room might recognize 14, verse 14, that last part of that there, but we'll come back to it, so be patient. Um, what Isaiah is saying here is, is a sign or a prophecy. He's saying a young woman is going to have a baby, and that baby will be a sign that God is with you, even if that's not his actual name. It's going to be a sign that God's with you. So in the very next chapter, Isaiah uh, has a son, and the Lord tells Isaiah, God tells Isaiah to name that son Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which is, I feel like is a great name for you young parents if you're thinking about naming. Um, many Bible scholars think that that son is a sign. It's supposed to be a sign to Ahaz because it's right after you know, Ahaz, you know, Isaiah announces this. He's a sign to say, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's not your enemies aren't going aren't to invade Judah. They're not going to tear it apart. They're gonna, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm going to be with you. And sure enough, when Ahaz's enemies come against him, um, they don't take over the kingdom. They can't. Isaiah was saying, God will be with you, and it comes true. Even though you've done terrible things, even though you haven't behaved like you should. And you, you guys know what that's like. Like you, you know when you've done something that you're embarrassed of, like you would embar- you'd be embarrassed that, that we all knew about, you feel like when you've done that, that God's not with you. You feel like, ah, uh, God probably doesn't want to talk to me right now. Or you feel far from God in those moments. God comes to Ahaz. He says, you, I mean, he's been far more terrible than any of us can imagine. And God's saying, I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. When Isaiah says that, he doesn't mean that everything's going to be smooth. You know, I, when I, I tend to think that when things go my way, that God's with me. Like when I, when I get what I want, I'm like, oh, God's with me today. That's not how God works, right? <laughs> that's not how God works. Sometimes when things are challenging, that's more of a sign that God's with us because um, the, they're, they're, Bible, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves, Right? So when something's challenging or when something is hard or, you know, we're being strengthened and it's unpleasant, God disciplines the one he loves. Um, He's with us. He's with us in those moments. So God told Ahaz, I am with you, but there are consequences for your terrible behavior and decision making that we're going to have to deal with. But I'm going to be with you in that, in that. Um, So there were losses and difficult things that happened when the nations attacked. But um, so just quick sidebar. One of his sons is killed. Awful. 
Um, you know, again, putting that in context, he burned one of his, his kids in the fire. That's, uh, um, th- th- when the nations come to attack Ahaz, they actually take thousands of their wives and daughters. They take them, they take the nations wet. Oh, they capture them and take them away. Uh, which is awful. Eventually, God forces Ahaz's enemies to bring those women back, to send the women back. But um, you can imagine that while that was happening, you would be like, okay, God, you promised to be with me. Uh, Where are you? All those things happened, but Ahaz's kingdom still stood after the attack. God kept his word. It wasn't always easy, but God kept his word and God was with him. And the prophecy, the prophecy was true. So experienced readers of the Bible will tell you that when an Old Testament uh, prophecy is given, sometimes it has an initial fulfillment and then a final fulfillment later. So um, like Ahaz and Ahaz and Isaiah situation, when God promises his presence, he says, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. A young woman who's Isaiah's wife will become pregnant and have a son. Um, and that, that birth is going to mean God is with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. God will save you from the situation that you're in is terrifying. Sometimes, in addition to that initial, that addition, the addition, uh, initial meaning of the prophecy, the prophecy has a, a more significant meaning or a more complete fulfillment. So in verse 14 of chapter 7, when it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to state that he's going to save you. A young woman who is pregnant will have a son and will name him Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. And then super fun. The words that is translated young woman here could also be translated Virgin. I wonder what it was like when Matthew, the writer of one of the first gospel, was going over this Old Testament verse and he saw it and he realized, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Listen to this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So before we did the song, Waymaker, Elise kind of she hinted at this, this 
ahead. This Matthew throughout his whole book. And in chapter two, he says, but throughout his whole book, he says, this was done to fulfill what was said about Jesus long time ago. This is an example of that. He says it over and over and over again. When the angel comes to Mary for the first time um, and to tell her that she would become pregnant with Jesus, one of the first things he says to her is this. God is with you. The Lord is with you. Throughout that pregnancy, I bet it didn't always feel like God was with her. Like explaining to her parents. Yeah, by the way, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's by the Holy Spirit. Or when her husband had made plans to divorce her. Like she was, I'm sure she felt, man, I can feel God with me right now. Some of you guys know, as we've talked before back and forth about that the Old Testament law, if you, were, if you committed adultery, you'd be stoned to death. It's likely that at this time that she wouldn't have got stoned to death because the Romans had taken away the Jewish, the, you know, the Hebrews' uh, ability to, to, to kill people. But it would have been awful. It would have been awful for her. So God isn't just with you. God isn't just with you when things are going how you think they should go. When Joseph finds out his wife is pregnant, not by him, it's heartbreaking and humiliating. But God is with him. But God is with him. Often when it's hard to believe that God is with us, we need a sign or we need God to show up or we need him to say something or we need something. And in this case, there would be a virgin that would conceive and give birth to a son and he would be called God with us. Which I think is interesting, you know, the, the, the verse of the prophecy says he will be, his name will be Emmanuel. And Jesus' name obviously isn't Emmanuel, but when we talk about Jesus, what would we say? God is with us. God's with us. Matthew intended that the audience, you know, for his, for his gospel when he wrote it, uh, initially his audience is Jewish people, Hebrews, Israelites. So during the time of Jesus, Jewish people would have, have assumed that God is with you when things go your way. When things are going good, then God is with you. And when things don't go your way, God's not with you. You've done something wrong. You've done something terrible. So some historians believe that, Matthew, uh, that, that Matthew's gospel wasn't written until like 80, oh, 80 years into the first century, 85 years into the first century. What that means is this. In year 70, Jerusalem is destroyed. The Romans come in, Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple's destroyed. Um, that, having that happen would have been horrific for Jewish people. Uh, imagine if we lost World War II and, and our country, we were impressed, it was just taken over. It, it, it's hard to overstate how traumatic it would have been for Jerusalem to be destroyed for these guys. So Matthew is writing after that's happened, Jewish people would have been devastated by this. It, it would have been difficult. I think it's interesting for Matthew to say, I think it's, 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 it's audacious for him to say, listen, let me begin this, let me begin this gospel with this. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with 
they would certainly felt like God wasn't with them. Even in our loss and our oppression and devastated state, the, the, the persecuted, you know, the persecuted Christians of the early of the first century, Matthew is saying, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with us. I think it's interesting. It's interesting that Matthew starts Jesus' story with the message, Emmanuel, God is with us. And then the last thing, the last thing that Matthew quotes before Jesus goes up into the sky is this. Surely, Jesus says this, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Like bookmark. Let's start with Emmanuel, God is with us. And then Jesus, he said, right before I leave, I got one more thing to tell you. I am with you to the end of the age. Matthew's telling his readers this. He's saying, don't use the destruction of Jerusalem to determine whether or not God is with us. Don't use the destruction of the temple to determine whether or not God is with us. He's reminding his readers, whether or not you get that job isn't how you want to decide or determine whether or not God is with us. Don't determine whether or not God's with us, whether or not you've been good or not. Don't use difficult circumstances that you're going through right now that you're currently facing to determine whether or not God is with you. You take Christ, you take Christ at his word. He said, I am with you to the end of the age. That is how, that is how you decide whether or not God's with us. That's how you decide. Always, I'm with you always. So in just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And communion is, is a time when we remember the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. His, his proof, his proof clearly that when he says, I'm with you always, that he's not lying. He's not lying. If you're a Jesus follower, we'd love for you to participate with us and celebrate the fact that God's with us. And not just celebrate it, it's a proclamation. It is a proclamation from now until the end of time. Every time we take communion, God is with us. We're, it's a statement. It's a statement. In the past few years of my sermons, uh, maybe you've heard me uh, quote pastor and author Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller uh, has been fighting cancer in some shape or form for years now, uh, just years. Uh, uh, it, some of it would get, it would get be, you know, he'd go into remission and it'd come back in a different place or a different way or different form. So just awful. And you can imagine, it's, some of you have, have experienced this more viscerally than me. So when you're fighting cancer, it's a time when your faith can be vulnerable. Um, you're praying for God for intervention, and maybe he doesn't intervene in the way you want him to. Uh, and during times like that, it's, it's pretty common to doubt or to question God, um, to let fear have its way. And if that happens to you, you know, if that's happening to you, that's okay. I mean, This past Friday, Tim Keller passed away, lost his battle with cancer. It's really interesting. Um, in his final years, you should really listen to some of his messages and interviews about death. It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, and he, he, he leans into it fully. You know, he talks about being afraid and what it's like, and, but he, he just talks about how how the, the resurrection of Jesus defang, defangs death. 
It, it takes the poison of death away. Jesus has removed the poison of death. He, he, he's full of faith. It's, it's almost like, I mean, it really, when you listen to him talk, it's like him facing death was kind of God's gift to us before, you know, so that we could see what it looks like for someone to lean hard into faith in Jesus in the face of something as awful as cancer and death. It is, it is, it is astounding. It is astounding. It, it makes me think of this verse. It makes me think of this verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Some of you know that. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Go ahead. Click that. Click that again. Silver will come up. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, not because death is not scary. It's unknown. It's hard. It can be scary. Not, I will fear no evil, not, not because God's going to take away all my problems. I will fear no evil because you are with me. You are with me. To be Tim Keller told this story um, in one of his messages before his death. He said a pastor named Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, told this story. He says uh, he was with his children. Uh, Pastor Barnhouse was with his children on the way home uh, from his wife's funeral, their, their mother. And so his children are silent in the car. They're riding in the car together and they're silent, staring out the window. And he could tell they're trying to they're trying to process all, everything that's happening. And you can imagine as a child trying to process something like that. It's awful. So while they're driving, this vehicle passed by an unusually large truck. Passes by their, passes by their vehicle. And, you know, the kind of thing where you, you, know, you see and you, all of them turn. They notice this huge truck. So Pastor Barnhouse says this to his children. He says, do you see that truck? It's a big truck, isn't it? And all of his kids, of course, they say, yes, yeah, huge truck. And he said, Pastor Barnhouse says this, would you rather get hit by that truck or get hit by the shadow of that truck? And the children thought that was silly. I mean, well, of course, the shadow of the truck. Then Barnhouse says this, because Jesus was hit by the truck of death, your mother only had to go through the shadow. First, imagine on the way home from your spouse's funeral talking like that. Like most of us, we could get there, you know, if you're a Jesus follower, you think, yeah, I could get there eventually, but on the way home, you're talking crazy like that. In this life, and in, in, 
We walk through the shadow of death, but we don't walk through death because he is with us. So when we take communion, it's like we're shouting that. We are saying it to everyone and anyone who knows what we do. He is with us until he comes again. He is with us. Let's pray and take communion together. Dear Father, thank you that Jesus went through death so that we only had to go through its shadow. Thank you that Jesus turned death from an executioner into just a gardener. That death and pain and difficulty and a hardship on this earth while we are living is scary and difficult and we hate it and we don't want it. But when we walk through it, we won't fear it because you are with us. Help us to proclaim that until Jesus comes again. Help us to proclaim it now as we take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.